Welcome to the AgriPod brought to you by Herdwatch, the number one farm management app used on over 21,000 farms. Join me, Katie Shanahan, as we bring together top experts in agriculture, influencers, and more each month. Uncover invaluable tips and tricks to navigate the agricultural calendar successfully. Engage in insightful discussions and current agricultural issues, all whilst having some fun along the way. Transform your farming journey by downloading the Herdwatch app today and say goodbye to farm paperwork. Nervous, come on, let's go. Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of the AgriPod by Herdwatch. For those who don't know me, my name is Katie Shanahan. I'm a beef and sheep farmer from County Cork and I happen to work for Herdwatch, the farm management app. So on this month's episode, we put a focus on calf health during the impending busy calving season. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Hazel Mullins. So Hazel is a proud dairy farmer who utilized her passion in large animals well-being to go on and pursue a career in veterinary. She has recently taken up the role as president of Veterinary Ireland whilst also managing her new large animal locum business. And she's also co-founder of VetSpace Ireland. Hazel regularly shows her journey in the farming and veterinary world on social media, where she has amassed an impressive 17.3 thousand followers. With a special passion for calf health, Hazel will bring some guidance and tips ahead of the calving season for you, the farmer. So Hazel, on behalf of myself and Herwash, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Katie. Thank you. I'm honoured to be the first guest. Um, when you messaged me, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, so very excited. And as you know, I'm an avid Herdwatch user for many years as well. So it's a, it's a big part of my life on the farm. But uh, yeah, delighted to be here and hopefully we'll learn a few things maybe together and um, yeah, just have a chat. Be good. Sounds good. So look, we'll get straight into it. We have a few different topics to cover. Um, we also have a little Q&A at the end. So both yourself and I also posted it on my own social media just to get a few questions from followers and things like that. So we'll get to those at the end. But just to get things going, Hazel, if you wouldn't mind telling myself and for those who don't know you, just a little bit about yourself. Um, okay. So I am a dairy farmer's daughter from Cork, from Carrig Navarre. And um, I also have just gone into partnership with my dad last year on the dairy farm. So I'm a vet and a dairy farmer. So I'm definitely... Um, a bit of both. I love both of my career choices now and um, veterinary is definitely a passion of mine and I wasn't uh, willing to give it up um, and I like that I can kind of work the two now together. So I uh, graduated in 2013. So I went to Nottingham uh, University in the UK. Um, I was there uh, for six years and I came back, had a great time uh, over there. And uh, definitely it made me kind of realize that I was in the right profession for me. I loved it. I loved studying it. I loved science. I loved all of it. And I particularly enjoyed my large animal lectures. I also like really enjoyed the equine lectures. So I was kind of, and I had horses growing up as well. And I was like, oh, what do I want to do? And then I think the the bug of the large animal, the cows, uh, definitely bit me. So I came home and I worked in Killarney for 18 months and I had a real mixed job there. There was horses, uh, dogs and cats, everything, goats, you name it. Uh, I 
I treated down in Kerry and it was brilliant and a real, I suppose, introduction to my working life and then moved to Bandon in West Cork, uh, down your neck of the woods, Katie, and uh, loved it. Real dairy focus, Glassland Vets, real dairy focus practice. So that's where I really my dairy interest really grew down there. So I was involved with a lot of herd health, a lot of farmers talks, all of that kind of thing. So then I moved to Abbeville um, just outside Cork City and had was able to live at home then and do on call. And again, a very dairy focused practice, big herds and really enjoyed the work there. And then I went to NACE to Highfield Vets and I was more in a kind of management role there as large animal director and mentoring young vets and maybe you know, pushing on the large animal side of that practice. And then uh, the Greenfields of Cork started to call again and I came home farming with dad and that's where I have been now since last February. And I kind of took the spring off kind of veterinary. Um, I was doing maybe little bits here and there, but generally was mostly farming and calving cows and whatnot. So it was, um, I don't know, you probably remember the weather wasn't the best last spring. So I was like, why have I done this? But no, it was definitely worth it. And I set up a local, I mean, business um, then in March and I went locoming for the summer and I'm still locoming mostly in Mitchestown, uh, but I've gone to other parts of the country as well and back to my old haunt in Killarney for a few weekends. And it's just great to give back to the vets that I have worked for and also meet new vets and new farmers. And I like the challenge of going into a new place and trying to, you know, figure out what was going on and meeting new people. And yeah, I like communicating and I like um, the variety. I've realized that I, you know, I like to keep things moving and changing. And I love the fact that I'm on the farm now and we can start improving things and that it's a business. So I still have that kind of entrepreneurial bit there that I was seeking um but also I get to still be in veterinary practice as well so I love it yeah and also the veterinary Ireland I am now the president of veterinary Ireland I was going to say you missed one of my biggest points yeah so I'm I'm excited to I took the role on um uh in November so it's I'm only new to the role but I'm really enjoying it I'm have met lots of new people and uh, there's lots of opportunities uh, especially in the education side of things like I love educating young vets and and making sure that there's opportunities there for young vets and promoting that you don't have to be um you know in your 60s to step up into a leadership role and especially um in a profession that we need young people to step up now and have a voice as well so hopefully uh, the year goes well I've lots of lots of little things ideas in my head that I want to get on get on the road and, and get going and yeah it's a it's exciting time exciting year yeah 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 like I can hear there you're clearly passionate about farming large animals like did you ever have any uh skepticisms or any taboos around going into veterinary because I I certainly know myself you know going through college I didn't have many friends going into it especially women perhaps you know did how how did you find it um you know from a young age getting into that sector and even now you know going out to going out being a, a large animal vet yeah like I did my leaving cert in 2007 which was a good bit ago and I remember going to my guidance teacher and I remember saying like all the things I loved which basically were being outside science um and farming and I was in a very I was in a city school and um I was 
you know, I had a few friends that were from the country and girls from the farm, but I generally was probably one of the most interested in farming in my class. And uh, I think, yeah, it was an unusual, I was probably an unusual student to come to that particular guidance teacher, but it's amazing. Like veterinary was obviously the number one thing that I wanted to do always. I loved, you know, the science and I loved when the vet came on the farm and I, yeah, I just really, really always wanted to be a vet. And I said that to her, but then my next option was um, engineering because I was good at maths and, and science and things. So farming, like ag was totally missed off the list. Whereas I think now if I came back and went to the guidance teacher, you know, in 2024, I do think ag would be mentioned as an option as a female in my choice of career. I think you know, going and doing an ag business degree or an ag science degree or something that would have got me into the ag world, maybe without the veterinary would have been suggested. But it's amazing. I was only kind of thinking about it there, you know, kind of over the last few months, like it's amazing how engineering was my next option. And I would have been a really, really bad engineer. Like I, yeah, I like maths, but not that much. So <laughs> I don't think it was the career for me, but I, yeah, I, I, there was one other girl that went and did veterinary in my year as well. Uh, she actually traveled to Budapest and I went to Nottingham. So um, there was actually no UCD grad um, from my year in, in school. So it was, uh, yeah, we, we were determined to become vets and we traveled overseas. But it's hopefully, look, in the next couple of years, there will be a second vet school. Um, it's quite a big passion of mine that we shouldn't be exporting our students um out of the country to study veterinary we should have more places for them here but obviously there is a big re recruitment and retention issue within Ireland at the moment and actually all over the world so it's actually looking at the profession as a whole work-life balance making sure that we make jobs really you know I suppose that encompass that they're still a, you're that if you're a vet you're still able to have a life outside and that we're finding those people that really do have a passion for whatever they're doing, whether it's equine, large animal, small animal, and that people aren't going into the wrong jobs because for whatever reason. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting time to be the president of Veterinary Ireland because there's a lot going on and hopefully we'll put in a few things in place. There's a new um, working conditions group being set up, which will look at other countries, how the rotas are working and how they, you know, there is a feminization of the profession, it's 50 50 percent uh male female now whereas before i think back in 1992 i read a i read a, I read a statistic that there was only nine percent female vets um registered in ireland so look we've more vets now so that figure might be a little bit skewed but it is a thing that we probably have to make work-life balance a bit more flexible and work you know we do go and have families and it's not the end of the world and that we do need to still be able to work as vets and be able to and practice owners and, and practices need to just become a little bit more flexible it's a changing world but I, I do see it happening already so it's interesting yeah yeah no definitely exciting things ahead so speaking of exciting things ahead we are now heading into a very very extremely busy season for dairy farmers especially uh, so calving season is definitely approaching for some it's already here al already uh, so just, you know, in terms of you and your own farm, you know, what do you think the importance of just being prepared, you know, for this calving season? Because 
you know, you don't, you, you want to be prepared, you want to reduce any sort of loss or any issues on the farm. So for you, say even personally on your own farm, how do you think, um, the how much importance should, should be put on being prepared, first of all, and then, you know, what are the advantages out of it at the end? Oh yeah, the last couple of weeks, I think Christmas Day dinner was barely digested and we were thinking about what needs to be done we were calving a little earlier this year as well we were starting with a few heifers with sex semen and uh, we could see them you know bagging up and we knew it was coming so I think preparation is key look if you prepare it's always going to be a better outcome for anything you do in life and um yeah I think looking at where the cows starting from okay where are the cows going where are the cows now? So where are the, the dry cows? Where are they going to move into? Where is the calving pen? And then looking at the calving, like the where the calf shed is and all of the little transitions between those, you know, is there is the calving pen equipped with a working head gate? Are the gates fit for purpose? Are they falling down? Do they need to be welded? Do they need to be replaced? Um, how is the dry cow hygiene? You know, you don't want to be, you know, causing mastitis early early on in the milking lactation period. So you need to get that right, that the cows are also fed correctly, that they're not overstocked because stress can induce, you know, problems with the calf later on, you know, obviously, you know, abortions or even there's a whole world of epigenetics there that um, if you feed the calf right, it's in humans as well. Like if you if you feed the calf right and, and you know, the, the mother isn't stressed, then the, then the offspring will be less stressed and have a better immunity. So it's all about looking at that side of it. So don't ignore, I suppose, the dry, even if they are starting to calve, you still have dry cows for a while. So you just need to make sure that sometimes you can get sick of, you know, I know myself like where cows are in now since October and, you know, cubicle liming twice a day scraping mm -hmm. cleaning it can get monotonous but really to keep a focus on that then looking at where you're calving your cows so at home actually we um have moved things around a little bit so we got a delivery actually just this morning of all these new calving gates and pens and we're putting in two pens into the um calf group calf shed now and basically for safety because mm -hmm. um sometimes we were getting a little bit lazy and you know, trying to put calves, cows behind gates instead of bringing them down to kind of the calving pen. And look, I just could see that there was going to be accidents happening. And I do think that safety at, at springtime, we need to make it out a priority um, for both vets and um, farmers. So I always love when I go on, I did a section yesterday and it was the nicest section because it was a lovely calving gate. There was no chance of me getting kicked. It was fabulous. And um, I just think that maybe we should be preparing maybe for those difficult calvings as well. Hopefully they never happen on the farm for spring. But, you know, the majority of farms will have a couple of cows that they will have to handle and, um, you know, maybe need to call a vet. So, yeah, calving pens, um, making sure that everything is disinfected. So cleaned out. So there's no point disinfecting things if you still have organic matter everywhere. So making sure that you remove that. And then disinfecting before um, any cows or calves go into that calving pen or calving group shed or whatever you're using. And then looking at the calf, where the calves are going to be, you know, where's are they going to be in individual pens? What's your kind of baby calf rearing situation? And then are they going to move on to group pens? Making sure that, again, all disinfected things like making sure that you're using a disinfectant that's 
relevant and going to kill crypto and coccidiosis you know a lot of disinfectants won't kill those so making sure that you're reading the label contact time as well on the actual surface and uh, yeah preparing uh, is key making sure that you have your milk replacer ordered making sure that you've got your iodine or your chlorhexidine or you know all of these things that think about from think about it as a process for the minute that calf hits the ground what are you going to need uh, along that route and making sure that you have enough things so I've I've been buying new buckets new teats and um, to put on old feeders and um, we take we change the teats every year and um yeah I disinfectant iodine uh milk replacer I you know getting your calf creep feed in early getting all of these things ordered um I ordered um we use a kind of fresh cow drink for the cows as well after they calf to prevent milk fever. I ordered, I rang at half past nine and it was in the yard at five o'clock. So online, you know, here's the, you know, these things are becoming more and more easy to get on farm now as well. So you just need to pick up the phone to your supplier and get organized. Yeah. No, sounds great. Um, you, you said a few kind of diseases there now, but you know, you're obviously a, dairy farmer and a vet so if you were to combine both of those professions in your own opinion uh what do you think are the most common calf health issues um once they're born and then moving on from that kind of I suppose preventions for them or treatments for them so just give me your say your top three or four that are probably the most common okay so um scours are probably going to be your top and that's that's reflected in the labs as well so the regional vet labs uh the number one cause of mortality in calves is scour uh, in baby calves is scour so that's under two weeks of age so you really have to be um wary of your rotavirus um crypto so rotavirus is a virus cryptosporidium is a protozoa so it's like a, a form of a parasite um, that's why you need a different type of disinfectant to kill it. And then you've got your um, E. coli. Seeing less and less of E. coli actually these days. I do think that your rotavirus and crypto are your main ones. Um, and then you've got coccidiosis maybe when they're a little bit older, over three weeks of age. There is other um, other viruses like coronavirus. So we all know about coronavirus, but in calves it causes, uh, you know, it can cause a kind of scour and respiratory signs. So um again it's 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 there it's something to be wary of the tests that we can test scour with do tests for all of all of those except for um salmonella so salmonella is another um again through vaccination and hygiene it is something that we don't see very often but it's definitely one to be wary of so top three would be definitely rotavirus crypto and i think coccidiosis are your main kind of top three um scouring calf issues and what was the next part of your question, Katie? How to prevent them, is it? Yeah, preventative methods or even even if they, not even prevention, if they do have it, I suppose moving on then is the treatment option. But I suppose prevention is, is key and then uh, treatments. Yeah, so I'll stick on the scours for now. So prevention, you do have vaccination. So there is um, a vaccination for crypto, uh, E. coli and Corona all contained within the one vaccine. And it's a one shot that you give three to 12 weeks before calving. It is important that if your cows are falling out of that bracket of the three to 12 weeks, or even at the very end of it, 
that you may have to, considering looking back at other years, have you got breakthrough cases, you may have to batch your cows into later cows calving and do those a bit later. So generally, most of them were in the middle of January here now. So a lot of farms will have that the first um, batch done and then they might wait until kind of mid-February for the second batch. So it's important that we're kind of giving it at the right time. Um, it's into the muscle and making sure that we are, you know, feeding our cows correctly, stocking rates, all of those things that make a vaccine not under pressure. So we have to think, you don't just put a vaccine in an animal and think expect it to work. You have to, you know, help it along as well. Like, you know, there's no silver bu bullet for any disease prevention. So it's a combination. And then of course the hygiene. So you're, you're cleaning out your calf pens, you're disinfect, you know, you would, I wouldn't really use a, a liquid disinfectant when you're kind of mid calving, We're probably looking at more things like hydrated lime. You can buy these kind of lime disinfectant products as well that you can put down under the straw and then put the straw over it um, and making sure that the colostrum really quality is good and colostrum management. So making sure that you're getting a refractometer on the farm, testing your colostrum, making sure it's over 22%. Um, feeding that colostrum then within two hours of birth, three, four liters, depending on the size of the calf. So you're generally between 10 and 12% body weight of the calf. So if you're a jerseys or, you know, you're bigger, maybe Frisians, you kind of have to look at the calf and think, okay, rather than just a baseline, you know, I'll give it three liters. If it is a big calf, it may need more. So working that out and then making sure that it's fresh from the first milking of the cow, because actually the cow loses um, antibodies. So even if the cow isn't milked and you milk her later on, she's milking, she's losing antibodies as, as, as she's standing there after calving. So it is important to milk the cow, you know, as quickly as possible. I know, you know, in the middle of the night and things like that, sometimes having frozen colostrum in the freezer as well. So some cows will produce a lot of colostrum. And if you test it and if it's over 22%, really good idea to put that in the freezer you can get really nice colostrum bags or even like a really good quality freezer bag and um, I find sometimes the you'd see colostrum put into um cartons quite a lot but it can take a long time for that to, to defrost especially at three o'clock in the morning um, and you just need a, a water bath to defrost it never in a microwave and kind of have the temperature in around the 40 degrees to try and 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 defrost the colostrum because you don't want to you know denature the um antibodies by putting it too hot so all of those things so to for the vaccine that kind of covers that vaccine really and then feeding it all depends on what your vet recommends as well whether you have you know uh yone's issues on the farm like that as well but you know feeding transition milk for up to a week so that's the milk that that cow produces for the for the week after calving is important for that that maximum benefit of that of that of those antibodies yes they're not absorbing them straight into the bloodstream probably after 24 hours, but it works locally in the gut to prevent disease as well. So that's important. Hygiene is important. Colostrum management and vaccines, I think, all contribute to preventing um, scour um, in those early days. But I think you were asking about what other things that could be a problem. And I know we'll probably discuss it in depth later, but pneumonia is an issue probably in the slightly older calf maybe kind of maybe 10 days two weeks older um all to do with looking at your ventilation um if it is an issue on the farm like if you go into a shed i I'm, i have asthma myself and i'm quite susceptible to kind of air quality and things if you walk into a calf shed and you smell ammonia 
and you you know you can barely breathe yourself think about those calves and that shed and how they're getting affected by the pathogens so fresh air kills pathogens so if you don't have fresh air that air is full of pathogens like viruses like rsv pi3 um bacteria um pasturella um it's 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 going to lead to disease if you don't have a fresh shed now there's a difference between fresh and also drafty so i think um sometimes you really do have to get down a calf level if there's a draft of calf level that can also cause you know a, a wind chill and um disease so it's making sure that there's fresh air without having a draft and there's ways of of um you can get like air measurement air speed measurement tools and temperature tools as well and and what you can do in a calf shed is actually fantastic and you should have a little toolbox to make sure that your calf shed is uh, optimal for um for rearing cows but that'd be one thing now and then vaccination for for um for pneumonia is key um if you do have issues some farms don't have any issues because their management is good their their shed is good but sometimes you might have calves in a shed that was never meant to have shed calves in it and you, you know we all have to work with what we have but it's um yeah lots of options about vaccination i think we got a question we might cover it later or do you want me to cover it now katie the uh should we get to the questions later um, okay I yeah. suppose, well, just moving on from that, like I thought sheep were bad for picking up diseases and wanting to die, but calves seem to want to get numerous diseases as well. There seems to be loads of them there. But I suppose even coming from me, I'm not a, I wouldn't be calving much cows. I wouldn't see much calves. What should farmers be looking out for in terms of a sick calf? You know, what are the visible signs? Because I suppose early detection is key when it comes to any sick animal, especially um, one as young as a calf. So what are like the most obvious visible signs that you need to be checking this calf? There's something wrong. Yeah, I think it's it's important that there's continue. If you can have someone that is kind of focused on calves for the spring period. So at home on my farm now, we it's generally I'm doing the calves or, you know, someone that kind of knows their general what they're like, what their routine is like and anything out of the routine, really. So. Uh, a calf that you put a bucket in front of it's been feeding for the last week absolutely perfectly and it just comes up and it just looks at it and walks away or you know it has no interest in feeding like that's not a normal behavior especially for a calf that's fed twice a day um so really we should be looking getting our thermometers out checking our temperatures um if they're lying down a lot if they're not getting up if their ears are drooped um, if you if you kind of see anything that's kind of out of the ordinary that what a calf should be you know they, they should be up they should be um you know bright eyes clear nostrils um you know they shouldn't be in a corner with their ears down and just have no interest in getting up Um, breathing rates as well like if you if you kind of sometimes they will like you know they'll they'll be a little bit warm in certain days and they might have an increased respirate but I think you can generally see when a calf is really increased their respirate um and kind of struggling to breathe you'll see their chest expanding a bit more than they should be so anything like that really and then obviously you'll see scour um so you'll have to um look call a vet get it diagnosed and um, we have really really good farm side tests now that we can take a little sample we can tell you that it's rotavirus or crypto straight away because they're very different they're they're treated completely differently rotavirus is a virus you know antibiotics aren't going to help in that way 
Crypto is a is a parasite, it's a protozoa that needs specific treatment. Uh, so I think sometimes you might think that, oh, it's a certain disease, but it actually could be something else. Um, they do get nutritional scours as well, maybe from um, drinking too much or drinking a, a, you know, if there's a transition between milk, milk powder and, and um, whole milk. So sometimes it might just be a very transient, like they could be really, really healthy, but have a slight scour. And generally that would clear up with maybe a, if you, if you give them an electrolyte mid midday and, you know, you kind of have to see, look at, look at all the signs that the calf is giving you like, and they're, they're trying to tell you, but I know they can't speak to you, but they are trying to tell you they're unwell and you just have to recognize it. And I think um, once you're in there kind of regularly and keep an eye on them and, you know, not just going in, throwing milk into a feeder and turning your back and walking out, making sure they're all getting up. They're all around the feeder. They're all drinking because they might come up and they mightn't actually drink. So I think it's important that uh, you don't take those simple things for granted. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely sounds good. Um, I suppose moving on from that then, just um, there's a few things that we'll talk about in the Q&A, but just to give the your top tips, things that are you know, non-negotiables for when a, when a calf is born, things you do, like certain things now, certain farmers would be all for, some of them don't, like say calf jackets, for instance, you know, that's kind of a, a preference thing. Obviously there's studies behind it, but things that are completely non-negotiable that you have to do in order for your calf to thrive and to, you know, not pick up any diseases or infections. And even in terms of both health and nutrition. Okay. Non-negotiable calving into a clean environment. Because if you calve a cow and the calf lands in, you know what, and it's surrounded by muck, um, you're giving that calf a much less chance of, of survival because they're going to be ingesting pathogens. They're going to be their navel is a passage, it's a it's a it's an open orifice basically until it closes. So it's still open when they're when they're born. So dirt can get up there infection can go up there very quickly so clean environment is a non-negotiable so making sure you've got clean straw cleaning out after every calving if possible or trying to just do your best i know in the middle of spring it's very very difficult but trying to keep that calf house as clean as possible you know using your lime underneath your straw um topping up straw making sure that it's clean now next thing then would be navels i mentioned it navels would be an absolute non-negotiable for me it's uh, preventing liver abscesses, joint ills, um, just general sepsis. It's 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 not as I said. It's an open orifice. They can uh, infection can get up there, and it's making sure when you are spraying that you're using your correct, you know, whether you're chlorhexidine at your 0.5 to one percent or your iodine at ten percent, you're making sure that it's made up correctly and it's you know fresh. And you have a really good, I actually like the um, the kind of cups, you know, like teeth, teeth disinfectant cups, because you can really get it all over the navel. And also the, the, the navel, when it hangs down, it's going up through the tube. So it's really disinfecting inside the tube as well. So it's it's getting that right. Um, and then another non-negotiable clostrum. I know we're sick of hearing it, but a calf is born with no antibodies. Like it's, it's completely naive. Um, so it really does need to get the antibodies from its mum, and it needs like that within two hours, like the one, two, three are the, yeah, the, 
first milking within two hours and three liters, I would even be saying looking towards the four liters, make looking at the calf, not just going, oh, sure, three will do. If it's a big calf, you think it's 40 kilos or more, take take 10, 12% of that. And that's what you're kind of looking for to get it to get into the calf and getting it in within the first two hours. Yeah, no, you think you think these things are fairly obvious, but for some farmers, it it tends to be kind of I suppose not taken as seriously as it should. It's a busy time. Yeah, it's a it's a busy time, Katie. So like it's everyone starts off with really really good intentions, and we all slip a little bit. Like it it just happens with tiredness. We get lack of sleep. We get you know, but I, it is trying to really focus on those basics and they're they're the non-negotiables, you know. Well, I, I think those three are they're fairly, fairly easy to follow, you know, just the clean yeah. environment, the navel and the colostrum. You know, if, if you can follow those three basic ones, I think you'll be looking at a pretty healthy calf. Um, so look, I think it's time to move on to this little Q&A. So Brilliant. myself and Hazel both put it out on our Instagram stories. So we wanted to get a chance basically for you, um, people online, to give in some of your queries. You know, there might be, you know, getting Hazel's opinion as a farmer, getting her opinion as a vet, um, just on some, some topics that we mightn't have covered in depth uh, in this podcast. So we might kick it off now. I know probably the most common one we both got was just the calf vaccination program. I know you said a lot about it, um, Hazel, but if you just want to like go in a little bit more detail on the RSV and the PI3 vaccines and, you know, again, just reiterate when they should be given and um, so on. Yeah, no problem. So I think uh, we book, I think we, I got a question more about maybe buying calves from the Mart and then you got a question about baby calves. So look, we'll split it into, into two types of baby calves. So what we're looking for really is a live vaccine with baby calves. Um, so to if you are getting pneumonia very early on, say kind of from 10 days, two weeks, look, there's probably an issue in the shed that needs to be addressed as well. It's, it, it, you know, there's probably reasons why these are happening, but the vaccine can help get through maybe a period where there's, there's, there's an issue in the shed. So um, there is a vaccine licensed uh, from day one. So if that suits your farm kind of routine that, okay, that it's really, really busy, you're not going to be able to batch calves later on, you know, at, at the week or 10 days old to vaccinate them then that, okay, when I'm tagging a calf, I, 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 also vaccinate the calf so that is available so that talk to your vet and there is there's a vaccine available and that covers pi3 and rsv it's an up the nose intranasal vaccine then there's other intranasal vaccines that are very similar you know um that they cover rsv and pi3 but they just need to be given at a week or 10 days old um so again talk to your vet and if you're not getting pneumonias till later on might be like that might be completely sufficient you get about three months cover out of an intranasal vaccine so just think it's intranasal because it works locally and also it it doesn't get affected by the maternal antibodies so the antibodies from the mother that they're getting doesn't affect it as much as a, an im injection so that's why we kind of need to be looking at um intranasals for that really early pneumonia then I suppose there's also an option to, to go in with a, a dead vaccine. So that's a killed vaccine, which takes longer to use. 
a lot of actually I've recommended this for farmers that get a little bit of pneumonia maybe when they go out to grass or they kind of get this kind of virus at grass so you can give it from two weeks of age but you need to give it four weeks later so it really only works kind of after two weeks after the second shot gives you that full protection but that lasts for six months so those two so that's the dead vaccine so it's very much looking back at your history what affected me last year and um, talking with your vet and saying okay I never want to go through that again and how do we prevent it and looking at the shed is a major thing so ventilation air speed air cleanliness um you know pathogens in the in the shed stocking rates like you know, really need to be looked at as well. So then for the weaned, for say you're buying in from the from the mart, um, I definitely wouldn't be thinking of vac. I'd let them settle for about a day before vaccinating them because there's no point vaccinating a calf that may be under immune stress for other reasons, you know, transport or, you know, leaving leaving the farm that they were on. Um, So I think 24 hours, be thinking of something. Again, if they're young calves, up the nose, intranasals, I think, you need to be um, thinking of live vaccines that needs to, if you need to, especially if you're bringing groups of calves from different farms, you know, you don't know what different calves are bringing. So you kind of just need to blanket um, intranasal vaccine is probably a good, a good thing there. And, but just not giving it probably waiting that 24 hours for the immune stress to come down because again, there are no silver bullets. We just need to give the vaccines in a really, uh, the best way we can, and also storage of the vaccines and really important as well. Like, you know, if you're going to the vet or collecting your vaccines, do not be going off, you know, shopping or going out for dinner and then forgetting, look, we've all, I've forgotten a vaccine once or twice on the seat of the car. And look, it's, it's, it's very annoying when it happens, but it needs, you need to really be prioritizing going to the vet. Okay. Vaccines back, back in the fridge and uh, the door of the fridge is a really good place to store them as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, Live vaccine works fast. Your dead vaccine is when you have time and you want to prepare for something maybe further on in the future. Yeah, and keep it out of the kitchen fridge, I suppose there is another, another <laughs> Growing up, my, my freezer used to be full of uh, cartons of colostrum. Same with the fridge. You'd have the colostrum in the fridge. Yeah. And we have a special freezer, yeah. but the, the fridge does get uh, the odd. Uh, my husband is like, what's this? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> The scour vaccine, you know. So <laughs> I think every household is the same, though. The 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 fridge can be used for. There's no harm in it. It's fine. <laughs> Just don't drink the colostrum. Is the top tip. Yeah. Speaking of colostrum, I suppose um we have two questions here that are similar. So again, we might join them up there from Nikki and Nicole. Um, so the first part of it, I suppose, is someone just wondering the correct method of um tube tubing tube feeding a calf and um, have you any tips on it you know I suppose it can be kind of a nervous uh, a daunting experience for the first time and and then you know as you do it more and more it just becomes monotonous and then I suppose Nicole's question moving on from that is uh bottle feeding first or tube feeding first you know what's what's um the kind of the studies behind that perfect um so stomach tubing yes it's a great tool both for you know feeding that first feed of colostrum if if that's what the routine on the farm is or else for sick animals and you should always have a separate um tube feeder for for each category um so that's really important because you're only spreading disease if you're if you're using the sick one on on healthy calves so um i like to kind of back them into a corner and make sure that you have um you know some kind of like 
that they're not wriggling away from you. Um, it's amazing the power of a baby calf. Actually, it's uh, you think it's going to be really, really simple, and actually, it, it they can be quite wriggly. So trying to set up as as best you can, have everything kind of ready. Um, and the left hand side of the neck. So I stand on the right hand side of the calf, making sure that the left hand side of the neck is visible to me, and then I kind of just um advance the tube and you'll see the esophagus is on the left hand side of the neck so you'll see it the bubble that kind of at the end of most tubes um feeders you'll see it actually and you can feel it and you can actually run it up and down and you can feel it under your finger um again you know you shouldn't be hearing any massive coughs um you should you know the you, the calf should be comfortable like kind of swallowing kind of chewing on the you know like salivating and chewing and you'll feel it going down and then you shouldn't feel any resistance as it's going down. And again, you should mark the some some of them are marked already, but just always kind of measure beforehand as well. The tip of the feeder to the tip of the nose. So you're kind of going from the elbow, the point of the elbow to the tip of the nose is kind of where you need to position it. So if you put a little um bit of a oh, like electrical tape or something there that you can mark it, that you know you're not going to go too far and rupture anything inside. Um, but that's the biggest tip is the left-hand side of the neck um, and you'll see it going down or you'll feel it going down. Um, so you should be able to feel the trachea, which is the, you know, the windpipe, and you should be able to feel the tube next to that, which is in the esophagus. So they're my big tips. And, um, you know, if you just want to try it without any liquid, you know, you can put it down and kind of get get more confidence with it that way and um then the second question katie remind me um just the difference or in your opinion what do you think is better tubing first or bottle feeding first like what's the research behind both yeah. options there has been research um behind it and look i think the research is showing that the 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 bottle feeding so out of a nipple is probably that little bit more um natural and gives that it's a little bit slower as well you know it just gives that time for the esophagus reflex so the calf when the calf wants to feed it, it closes off and um, there's a, a little passage that that the milk goes straight to the abomasum so again when you're when you're tube feeding it will get to the abomasum it'll just take it just take that little bit longer because obviously it's kind of going into the undeveloped rumen first um so you're putting kind of claustrum in there. Now it's okay to do that for the first feed. Um, but look, if you have the time and you have, you know, look, there's certain farms that look, I'd much rather them get the three and a half, four liters of claustrum into the calf um, than, you know, leave it and have to go and, you know, busy time of year. So it is very much, I think once you get that four liter, three and a half, four liters in to your standard calf, that's the main thing. But I suppose the research shows that just slightly, you know, I think there's probably a slightly higher antibody, um, uh, I suppose, absorption rate, but very minimal difference, to be honest. Yeah. Perfect. And then I suppose going on to Sue asked about, so I don't think we'll discuss different brands of milk for placer, but maybe in your opinion, what to look out for in terms of on the label? What, what are the key things we need to be looking for? Yeah, so I think it depends as well, you know, they like the protein kind of anywhere between 23 and 26. Now there is um milk replacers at 28. They'd probably be more for your real kind of Holstein heifers and your really 
Um, mm-hmm. like look at your farm, look at your type of cow, look at your type of, of, of calf. Um, again, look, the protein, if the fat then between 16 and 20, anything over 20% fat will actually impact on their meal intake um, after a few weeks. So you do need to get them to, to be eating meal as well for rumen development. It's really important for those papillas to develop. So you don't want anything that's really filling them up too much that they're not like hungry enough to look for meal as well. So, and then ash, you shouldn't be, it should be under 8%. So that's kind of like the, you know, uh, like the, the part of the milk replacer that has no real nutritional value. Um, so you don't want like, dust basically in your in your milk replacer so anything under eight percent so 23 to 26 for protein fat under 20 percent and ash under eight percent and they're the main things really and look at your type of cow perhaps the the more holstein frisian type heifer may need that higher end of the of the protein but generally um yeah a good a good milk replacer like that would and a, a you know a skim or a whey i suppose you have different like the skin will form more of a clot in the rumen which would be probably maybe better for older cows maybe when you're trying to um wean them and then but a lot of milk replaces are a mixture of skim and whey so it, it doesn't really matter i suppose whey is just digested that little bit quicker um kind of two to three hours so they're the main things really yeah and i suppose would you have any tips on you know getting um a calf to the feeder or you know tips on you know their age or their feeding rates things like that with that we should be following or trying to follow yeah so there's a lot of uh, automatic feeders on farms these days so making sure that they are calibrated properly so we've noticed as in the vet world that there's a bit more bloat in calves and there was a you know when these feeders came in first i think um there was you know maybe people weren't calibrating them correctly or cleaning them correctly and making sure that the, the teats are changed daily even if you have a little bucket of milton um outside the calf and you're you're swapping the teats because look it's it's very different to um a teat being used twice a day by 10 calves it's now being used by you know 25 calves three or four times a day because the feeders are are you know meant to m- mimic more of maybe of a natural kind of uh, i suppose a calf suckling and going up so Again, it's talking to your talking to your, I suppose, supplier of the feeder, making sure that you're using your good quality um, milk replacer in that feeder, and uh, yeah, just keep it. Like I think bloat is the major issue with uh, with with automatic feeders and making sure that you're just not leaving them completely automatic. There is some human intervention is required, and uh, getting them set up correctly and making sure that yeah, you're um, supplying the meal then. Generally, I I give my calves at home kind of their their access to kind of meal from maybe four or five days old and making sure that they're like they won't eat very much, but they just need to be nibbling. And then that that'll increase then kind of up, up, up towards three weeks and, and onwards. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, to be honest, I'd say 70 percent of the rest of the questions were on vaccinations, uh, naval care. And I think we did. A fairly in-depth discussion of those so I'm going to leave the rest of the questions I think we have covered them all um, just to kind of make things a little bit light-hearted now and finish on a funny note we're going to do a little um, quick fire round so I don't want you thinking about what I'm saying I want you to give me an answer the first thing that comes to mind so it's going to be basically a this or that so I'll name two things and you have to say the first thing that comes to your mind um, 
you have to pick one or the other basically so this is going to be very funny so are you ready i'm nervous come on let's go <laughs> okay let's go Friesian or Holstein? Holstein. Faster, Hazel. Bull <laughs> or heifer? Heifer. Dog or cat? Dog. Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Cows or sheep? Cows. Dairy or beef? Dairy. Cow or calf? Calf. And now, to make it really hard for you, Glenn or Max? so for those who don't follow hazel they're her <laughs> lovely greyhounds i suggest you give her a follow because i love watching them because i'm another dog lover so that brings us to the end of our first ever agri pod i can't believe it's finished it was great speaking to you hazel absolute pleasure and we've had some good fun and hopefully um it's been educational and um yeah a good listen yeah, no, and I, I think just having you on, you know, it was, you know, you're, you're a friend, you're a Herdwatch user, you're a very intelligent female vet. So I think people have definitely learned a lot um, heading into this busy calving season. And I'm sure if anyone has any more questions, you can get in touch with Hazel or myself and we'd be delighted to answer them. Brilliant. Thanks, Katie. This podcast was brought to you by Herdwatch. Download the Herdwatch app today to eliminate farm paperwork and make better decisions with your farm in your hand. I hope you enjoyed this month's AgriPod by Herdwatch. Tune in next month where we will have another special guest in store. Bye!